One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Oh, Commander, Commander missed his, uh, his cue. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I was, having a, I was just down the coffee shop having a bleach in a bong. <laughs> one. This is definitely the curse of verbosity. Two. <laughs> Say one again, Three. Phil. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. <laughs> one. Two. Three. Four. Five. One. <laughs> two. Three. Four. Five. <laughs> we have a listener, Heis Veltin. I think is I I, I didn't ask about his uh, first name. His, That's sorry, not an anagram name. of Commandarin at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> but but Heiss wanted to learn how to record and and edit something, so he recorded a song. I posted it in the host chat, and I'll and I'll share it with you, Gavin. But it's definitely a unique song, <laughs> and that accent is pretty strong throughout. So seriously, though, I was playing with the decks this weekend for the first time, and. I was in the middle of telling a friend a story and it was her turn because I was just, you know, waiting for my turn to come around. And while I'm telling the story, she taps her mana and plays a curse of verbosity on me. And I was just like, all right, I oh, guess you iron. didn't want to hear my story then. It was like turn two. <laughs> that drew a lot of cards. <laughs> I'm Phil DeLuca. I am Sean Watson. <laughs> and I'm Shivan Butt. And we are Commanderin. Mandarin. Thanks for listening, everybody. Amsterdam via St. Petersburg. There. <laughs> yes, but what's important is Commander and Spoke. <laughs> we put a spotlight on community issues. Really, community issues, but never ever talk about four banned topics, even as of right now, where there's a poll on Twitter as to which of these people want to see removed. We still won't talk about religion, politics, Hearthstone, and hip-hop. That doesn't mean that some of us might not break out into hip-hop at some point during the show, as we've done almost every show since banning hip-hop. All I need is Kanye West to start talking about Hearthstone, and we can just talk about Look, him. Look, man, I'm going to let you finish, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to support us, Go to wherever it is you get your podcast from and give us a five-star rating there. That's iTunes. That's all the other places. I'm not going to list them. I'm just not. Please go in there, give us five-star ratings, and and, uh, leave a fine review or not-so-fine review as we were discussing last episode. Or you can really support us by visiting patreon.com slash commander and mtg. And donating as little as a buck a show, that turns out to be like a coffee a month. A whole coffee you could buy us a month at a buck a show. And if you want to give us more, we're not going to turn it down. We can certainly use it. It helps bring up the audio quality, pay for our editors, pay for our song parodies, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. 
Don't forget to visit us on YouTube, where you can see really cool videos of our song parodies, our songs, now that we've done a song without that isn't quite a parody, and all sorts of other fun things. By the way, I did upload all four episodes of Phil and Sean do Frankenson. Oh, excellent. Are they up now, are they? Brilliant. I need to They're up them. now. Yeah, I'm not even sure what the uh, uh, third and fourth contain, Sean. I just uploaded it. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh dear! I'm sure Jesus. it won't harm the. <laughs> I'm sure it won't harm the podcast uh, reputation at all. This week, we have a wonderful show lined up for you. I can't help it; I'm cracking up. You're cracking up because you know what you're about to <laughs> oh, say is not true. I am having so much fun already. Gavin Verhe returns for the secondest of two parts of his fantastic visit with us. We had Gavin on a couple of weeks back, and we talked about Commander 2017. And this week, he's back to talk about Commander 2017, almost as if it's for the first time he's back. But it's the the, the second back, has so. a quotation marks around it. Yes, let's let's just call it the secondest, and <laughs> and we'll be good. The most second appearance you've made on our Absolutely. show. Thank you for coming uh, episode back. two point five. Happy to be here. And I'm excited to talk about the rest of Commander with you guys and drop some cool little R&D stories. Maybe play a game at the end. Oh, yeah. That'd be really Looking sweet. Looking forward to it. And I hope you've been getting a lot of good feedback about how great these decks have been I have. so far. You know, I even got your tweet a couple of days ago, Shivam, about how you played them over the weekend and really enjoyed it. And it's always great to see people continue to go out, play with these decks. And it's kind of, when they first came out, it was this huge burst, but even now, weeks later, I'm still getting this, you know, slow every couple days. Someone's like, hey, just played with these for the first time. It's awesome. You did amazing work on it. And really, I have to hand it off to the whole team. They did a phenomenal job making it happen. Yeah, I made sure that I, I had some friends over for a party, and I was like, you know what? We need to play these out of the box. It's work training, so if you'd be so kind. And I was able to get these guys to sit down and... <laughs> play the vampire the dragon and i got to play nazan we didn't have wizards because that deck is just it's not tribal enough for me but and i only had three people <laughs> but goodness gracious all of these decks are so much fun they're so balanced and they do exactly what you want that deck to do except apparently wizards well you know i'm not a blue player i'm not a a spells guy I don't understand this whole cast things. I'm you, turn sideways, hit you in the face, come home. That's all I want. Yep. And frankly, this grasshopper is why you lose. Except God, I got this. Like the Nissan is so good. He is so good, and he the, is the eminence abilities on these cards are so busted. Especially like Arabo, just like oh, I guess I'll hit you with a fleece main line who's now like at twelve twelve. Boom. That's your face. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, my buddy my buddy managed he's playing Arabo as the commander, but he managed to get Nazan out. And uh when he when he did, I was I was so giddy and then he punched the vampires right in the face with it. It was great. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Good decks, man. We'll talk about them, I think. All except for the green white one because we've already talked about that awesome. I mean, if shivam has his way we won't about talk about it. the wizard deck either but i think for you listener we'll make an exception 
It's it's a really good deck. It was very scary. How can it really be a wizard deck if it doesn't even have Prodigal Sorcerer in it? True that. I'm just saying. No, not true at all. Prodigal Sorcerer is awful. It's one of the great iconic cards in Magic. And, you know, I gotta say, Gavin, I'm really disappointed at your lack of nostalgia. You are, you know, letting I'm gonna Sparkle let, Ponies down everywhere. I'm gonna let the development take the fall for this one, you know? I mean, they had the opportunity and they just chose not to. He said... Carefully, yeah. all you spikes out there. I'm... <laughs> they could have replaced any of the cards that you had already put in the set with Prodigal right. Sorcerer, and they didn't. Yeah, they could have gotten rid of Marchesa. Nobody wants to play that card, or like you know, Azami. Why would anyone want Azami when you could have Prodigal Sorcerer? You, uh, uh... Y'all aren't with me here. You don't have to respond, Gavin. You understand it's fine just to move. <laughs> None on of to you the guys are with me here. <laughs> Before we dive into why Prodigal Sorcerer wasn't in the Wizards deck too deeply, we do have playmats for sale. People who order them will get either a free Deadeye Navigator or free God Pharaoh's gift. They will be signed by at least one member of the podcast host group, and lucky folks will get a foil version of the card. Last week, we were talking about foil versions of the playmat, uh, yeah, we, we didn't have out of any those. of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you didn't already order one, you could have gotten a foil version of the playmat, but if you snooze, you lose. And apparently, yeah. <laughs> Gavin also wrote a design handoff article, the first of its kind, really, where we get to see the handoff file. In this case, of course, for Commander 2017. We talked about the last time he appeared on the show. We're going to put it in the show notes as well. It is an absolutely fabulous document, absolutely worth your time, especially if you're interested in both Commander or in design. Yep. I started making an Oops All Gideons EDH deck. That's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Led by Kithian. It'll be really great. <laughs> it's gonna have like, uh, Yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, it's it gonna will have certainly like be Gideons a deck. In it. It's going to have like Jeru and a bunch of soldiers and just punch you in the face a lot. It'll be Has it got Hyksus in it? Yeah, it should for theme reasons. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I'll talk about that on an episode because that's a fun, a fun, neat little uh, gimmick to do. Yeah, well, we should we should do some show planning in uh, at another time, not right in the middle of Gavin's episode. <laughs> hey, Gavin, <laughs> I was about what should we do? put in our next episode? You're not on. <laughs> I, I would just talk about Ixalan, right? That's the cool thing. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that. I think sooner or later. But um, our main topic is. Back to designing Commander 2017. And Gavin, if you don't mind, let's start it off with a question from Patron Henry Stukenborg. Is he, is he on this podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I happen to know his, his accent is um, very much American. So, <laughs> yeehaw. Despite his surname, <laughs> it's a very it's a very right. direct accent. Let's, let's kick very it off German. with this question. Anyways, continue. Yeah, so he wants to know what were this set's driving goals. So it's kind of a refresher for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there were a lot of things going on this time around. One of the big ones is that we were moving from five decks to four decks, and we had to make sure that that, that would work out. Yeah, we wanted to do themes. Uh, we decided that themes would be one of the big key elements that changed here. 
And so we made four tribal decks, as now you all know, and we did that instead of colors. So we wanted to make sure that that would hit. Second of all, we had this tribal theme that was kind of handed down and we all thought it was going to be awesome. And it was making tribal commander work. Now, a big challenge with tribal commander is that putting a lot of creatures on, onto the table in commander can be very dangerous because there's a lot of board sweepers. And we needed to make sure that we could, we could pick tribes that people were excited to pick up decks for, but that they probably didn't already have themselves. Yeah. So that was a big element to this as well. Additionally, because there's hundreds of creature types in magic, but we could only do four tribes. We wanted to make sure that we could create plenty of cards that could go into any tribal deck so that you could still build your goblin or homerid tribal deck or whatever and put in cards. And that's where cards like the Kindred Cycle, like Ornate Courtyard, things like that came from. Now, how much did you coordinate with uh, with the other set development? Because you look at Ixalan, and now we have a lot better view of Ixalan than when we first started this interview several weeks back. Ixalan's a tribal set. The Iconic Masters, which we're, we've seen for the first time as well, that's a tribal set. And, of course, the Commander, I mean, Commander 2017 is a tribal set. Was there a lot of Yeah, actually, so when we moved to Fordex, one of the things we wanted to do was hook into themes, as I mentioned. And so we looked at themes that would tie into the mainline sets yeah. because we thought it would be really cool if you were playing Commander and the cards that surrounded you in the, the, the new sets that were coming out worked in really well with whatever the themes were. And so we intentionally picked white, black, red vampires because we wanted you to be able to play your white, black, Ixalan vampires with your red, black, Innistrad vampires. And there wasn't really a commander to unite those two. And so, yeah, we intentionally intentionally did that because of Ixalan. And... Uh, that was something that we, we wanted to try out here, and so far the reception's been great. People are already talking about what the Ixalan vampires could go into their commander deck and kind of just builds up the excitement for those vampires. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. I When when the tribes were announced for the commander deck, I looked at the Mardu vampires, and my first thought was definitely, well, this is definitely going to be seeding for the next set because there's never been, you know, three-color vampires like that before. And... I've been starting to use the commander decks as sort of shadow previews for what you guys intend for the upcoming year. And it's been really interesting to see how it's panned out, especially with these tribal cards coming out. Because, goodness gracious, there's a lot of vampires in Ixalan that look amazing. Yeah, I mean, and to kind of give some behind the scenes, we ended up going with red, black, white vampires. But we also talked about green, white, blue merfolk because then you could combine the green-blue merfolk here with the white-blue merfolk from Lorwyn. And then we talked about white-blue-black zombies, because you that's actually going a sl slightly back. You get to combine oh, the Innistrad zombies and the Amonkhet zombies. So we talked about a lot of different combinations, but ultimately ended up deciding vampires. They had a deep, rich, awesome history. They could be really awesome in Commander. They kind of fit the scheme of what we wanted to do. But, you know, I've kept the other two in my back pocket. I think that those are pretty exciting, and maybe at some point in the future you'll see those, or at least Commanders, that will fit well for those. Awesome. <laughs> That's super exciting. I, <laughs> yeah, I, goodness. I'm just, like, lost in thought thinking of what yeah. the Bant Merfolk would be like and how amazing that would be. <laughs> Almost as amazing <laughs> hey. as Bant Cats. Oh, that that's cutting oh. deep. That's cutting oh, deep right there. Another, you know, another really interesting thing is we, we had to kind of solve for what a white, black, red vi vampire is, because 
I went over to Kelly, uh, my creative representative, and we were trying to figure out, okay, well, we're going to do this red, white, black, white vampire thing. We've agreed on that. But what does that mean? What does a red, white, black, white vampire look like? And we got to Edgar Markov pretty quickly because it made a lot of sense. Black, white, you know, Soren and the Markov line. And then, okay, a little bit of red in, in there too, you know, because Innistrad Vampire is red. But the other ones were a lot trickier. And so we had to kind of solve for what we were going to do to show this off for the first time. And that was a pretty interesting challenge there. Hmm. And yeah, well. I have to say, I got to use my... Cat warriors from Legends as tokens for Jedi Odana Vefrava in my playtest. <laughs> I lived the dream. It's the greatest dream. Everybody should go get their old school Legends uh, cat warriors and slot them in for the best tokens there are. I, you know, at really least really the good. cat deck this has thing. one Jedi Odana, right? You know what, man? These days, I'll take what I can get. You didn't even give me a freaking Sorceress Queen. You put in Serendib Sorcerer instead. Uh, it's Sorceress Queen still a human wizard. It could have fit in the wizard's deck just fine. Do you know what you can do? You can get one of your old Sorceress Queens and swap it out That's for not one the of the point. other cards in the deck. It could have been in a new frame. Yes. He but... has a lot of you. Well, you know, one of the considerations there is, <laughs> so, you know, with, with we're making a commander set and we only have so many new pieces of art that we get to get and we would have to get new art for Sorceress Queen. So that's a case where it's like, I mean, obviously that sounds, it sounds excellent on your end, right? You're like, great, awesome, sweet art for Sorceress Queen, sign me up. But we have to think about a lot of different things and a new art piece here means maybe that in a master set or something, we one fewer cool piece of art or we have the less ability to go and explore something. So, you know, given that they're functionally about the same card, we ended up going with the uh, Serendib Sorcerer. But perhaps yeah. someday Sorcerer's Queen will rear its head. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, that's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> Enrique Stukenborg also wants to know if you had any extraordinary difficulties balancing the power levels between the various tribes. Again, you know, having seen all of them in action now only once, but still, it was really well balanced, and and yet it didn't feel like a a, a slog like some other balanced uh, precons. Yeah, feel. there was actually a ton of balancing work that went in here. Now, Brian Hawley's team, the development team, really focused on honing the balance, so I give him a good amount of credit for that. But something we were doing in design was trying to make sure that we could pick four tribes that would have good interplay with each other that would be fairly well balanced and trying to find ways to make sure that they could fight each other. For example, a big challenge is, okay, you've got this five-color dragons deck going on. How do you make sure that the five-color dragons deck doesn't always win the late game with its huge creatures and also cause a gigantic flying trouble? Because if you're a dragon deck, you're just going to have the most flyers. Um, we want to avoid what's called a type three failure, that's Eric's name for it, which basically means that in the long game, yeah. a deck will always win. And it's not fun if you're like, okay, well, if this game goes on for a while, Dragons wins this matchup 100% of the time. You have to, or, or even if it's just like, okay, if the game goes on for a while, cats can never win. Because maybe Wizards has some interplay, but if it's just, oh, cats and vampires can never win a long game, that, that's too bad. So we had to find ways for every deck to have a long game. And you even see some cards... Um, that are maybe a little bit outside of the flavor of the deck, like maybe abundance in cats that allow for it to have that longer game plan. Of, okay, the game's going on long. I'm still drawing lots of gas. And the equipment theme in the cats deck 
also helps make sure that your late game draws are still relevant. So we want to make sure things were well balanced against each other there and picking four tribes that had really good interplay between each other. The card by card and individual interaction development, I really, once again, I thank Brian Holland's, Holly's team. He did a great job on it. But we did a lot of balance from the very beginning trying to get those tribes just right. And in the end, I think it's fantastic. Actually, yesterday, I just played the out-of-the-box experience, uh, all four of the decks, and it was a great close game. And I'm glad that we have that still going on. Oh, excellent. That was the first time you played it? First time I'd played the printed versions with with a bunch of people. Actually, I was playing with Chris Cox, no less. So it was... Oh, jeez. Yeah. Hey, boss, uh, what do you think of my deck? If you don't like it, it's totally development. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the... Does he play Magic? Yeah, yeah. Chris is awesome. He's a quite a Magic player. He's quite a gamer. He not only comes down and he does play tests with us in R&D, but he flies out to the Pro Tour sometimes. He has a... It's not just Magic, too. He plays all kinds of our games. He actually has an active Axis and Allies game going on almost all times in the office. And he'll just, you know, play, take his turn, come back the next day. Everyone else will have taken their turns back to his turn again. So he's definitely a gamer, a lifelong gamer. And it's really cool to have that person in charge at Wizards. And he has very... Tell me he runs a D&D game. He definitely plays D&D. I don't know if he actively uh, is in one right now, but he's definitely played a lot of D&D in the past and currently doing it. So he's uh, well entrenched as a gamer. And he comes down and plays with us and gives feedback on things, which is pretty cool. Wow. That's cool. And for our listeners, Chris Cox is the new, is he the CEO or the president? He is the CEO, uh, which oh, might Wizards which might also be the president. Yeah, I think so. And, and th- that's really good to hear that he plays games. Yeah, he, you know, from the very beginning, he came in the office and he was flying out to tournaments to check out what the scene was like. So he's really involved and really cares and reads a lot of the internal reports we write. Wow, excellent. That doesn't happen in yeah, a lot of game like, companies. That's uh, really unusual. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm currently part of a game company where that happens, but at previous game companies, mm, not so much. Yeah, yeah, the previous game company I worked for, oh my lordy, no, that would never happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of them didn't know what the game they were selling is. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast is pretty amazing to work for, I gotta say. Yeah, it really is. While we're talking about vampires, do you want to talk about the deck? Absolutely, yes. So vampires, it's a deck very near and dear to my heart, not just because that's where all the blood is, but also because, well, I guess not all the blood. If all all your blood is in your heart, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, you have a problem. I'm trained to uh, stop that happening. And your problem is coagulation. (laughs) Look it up. Uh, So the vampire deck... I worked on it was everyone in commander design a unique thing as opposed to another set or a normal mainline set is everyone kind of owns their own deck and you, or you pick a deck to that you're going to build with and then you're designing a lot of the cards for that deck you're tweaking that deck on a day-to-day basis and vampires was the deck that I picked up it was actually because I asked everyone on my team to kind of stack rank the deck they wanted to play and vampires was the one that people wanted the least surprisingly so i I, wow. I took it yeah that surprised me too i thought i would end up with something different but mark gottlieb had pitched cats and it was kind of his baby and you know i was happy to let him take it and then ben hayes who's an, an excellent designer and great at figuring out how to make like, like tricky mana bases work and balancing took dragons and me and jules were left with wizards and vampires and we were both you know happy to take either one and he slightly preferred wizards so i let him have it 
And so I ended up with vampires. And so a lot of the core themes were, were built into it from the very beginning. And, and the way these commander decks are built is you have kind of the mainline tribal theme at the very top, and then every deck also has a sub-theme. And the vampire's th sub-theme, of course, being life gain, so it has cards that trigger off of life gain, like Sanguine Bond, and some life payment stuff going on as well, which also, if you'll notice, pairs well with a lot of the Ixalan cards that have that life gain, life loss sub-theme in yeah. there. Yeah, definitely noticed that. So it's a little nod. And so building off of that, a lot of the questions re we've gotten regarding these decks involves like the reprint choices you make because that's one of the big deals about the commander precons can you go into a little bit about how you chose some of the cards from the history of magic to bring back for this vampire deck absolutely so the final build of the x was managed by brian hawley so you know he made a lot of the choices there but still a lot of the initial handoffs survived and we wanted to make sure we could put in cards for all the decks, vampire deck included, that were both exciting cards to own or, you know, classic tribal vampire cards that you would want to have around where possible and that fit the themes of the deck. And so we, we actually we tried to position each deck in a slightly different place. Now, I mentioned earlier, type three failure and all that. We wanted to make sure that each deck that like dragons and always win the, win the long game, but we also wanted decks to operate in a slightly different place. So, for example, the dragons deck and the wizards deck are the two better long game decks, while the vampires deck could kind of own, deal a bunch of damage, get, get the party rolling in the mid game. And actually, if you read the design handoff article, there's, uh, I've mentioned a bit about how the vampire's goal is to get the ball rolling. And that's exactly what it does. It gets creatures down on the table fast. If you're using Edgar Markov as your commander, you make a bunch of tokens, and it can start attacking, getting counters on things, and kind of force action. When we're building these commander decks, one thing that we're always, always, always trying to do is make sure that stuff happens. Because especially considering these are intended for a new audience, a lot of new players' initial instinct, instinct is to not do anything. It's like, oh, there's four players. Well, we all have creatures. If I attack, I'm going to get attacked back. I'm just going to turtle up. And if everyone turtles up, the game will take forever. Nothing will ever happen. And, you know, maybe the Dragon's deck ends up killing everyone with flyers, or maybe just no one does anything, and that's a big problem. So we try to make plenty of incentives to attack, which was kind of the reason why Brian ended up adding in those curses, because they really incentivize attacking, but also make sure that, that the game, that some of the decks have proactive game plans. And the Vampire deck is doing exactly that of, hey, I want to attack, I want to make sure that I'm lifelinking, or my Edgar Markov is triggering, or my creatures are getting bigger, or so on, so stuff is actually occurring. Yeah. Wow. Well, Edgar does the job perfectly. The moment he came out, he was he was hyper aggressive. He had been generating vampire tokens all throughout the game, using them as disposable whatever was necessary, right? As an attacker, as a defender, it was just it was excellent. My favorite combo in the vampire deck is drawing the card Skull Clamp. It's real nice when you've got a lot of vampires <laughs> running around. <laughs> he had yeah, Skull Clamp out. Man. It was brutal. He just so kept fun. stapling his uh, his vampires, and uh, oh, oh, it's terrible. That, that's uh, D Haas who will be coming on to talk about his Malfagor deck at some point. And yet, yet all the appropriate to keep sacrificing your little vampire thralls there to uh, to draw some more cards. It, and now, it, oh. it, if you look at um, the Eminence abilities too, in all these decks, especially in the Vampire deck included, the Eminence commanders are meant to kind of fill in a gap in the problems with that the strategy has. So. And an aggressive deck in Commander, the problem is you don't really want to play out a ton of creatures, there's a lot of board wipes going on, it's hard to go wide and get a lot of tokens. So, 
Edgar fills that gap of giving you a lot of tokens to play around with. You know, on the opposite end, you look at like the Euro Dragon, and the problem with dragons is they cost a lot of mana and you're very susceptible early, so it makes your dragons cost less. So the eminence abilities kind of fill an important role in defining what the deck's tribalness is doing and what stage of the game it's operating in. Yeah, really cool. Of note to listeners, we mentioned now uh, a tier three problem a couple of times. We actually don't know what all of the tiers are, and we're not going to go into it here because we're actually going to have Gavin come back and talk about those if you're willing to. I would love to come back on the show uh, anytime. If you guys want me to talk about Commander or Modern or my favorite mm. movies from the 1990s, like any of these topics, I'm on board. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> We're going to go into some of the specific cards in the Vampire's deck, unless Sean has a question about the Vampire's deck. No, I was only going to ask, is Edgar's artwork specifically based on Keith Sutherland from The Lost Boys, or was it just a happy coincidence? <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think it was. In fact, at one point, you know, it's funny, everyone always says Keith Sutherland. At one point, Edgar looked too much, I think, like Christoph Walken. And um, oh, really? they toned that back a little bit. Maybe they added a little bit of Keith Sutherland in the process. I don't know. Hey, Sorin. But uh, honestly, in, in all seriousness, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, this was a gorgeous piece of art, and I d- doubt the artist. I mean, every artist, not every artist, many artists use references to help create their pieces. But I, I personally don't see the resemblance as much as some other people. So. It's the hair. It's that blonde square top mullet. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Also, I need to eyes. say before we move on from the deck, Mathis Fiendseeker, the bounty hunter vampire, is so amazing. It is such a ridiculous card that's just so irritating because <laughs> you sit there and you're like, oh god, I'm going to attack with this, but all of you guys are going to gain life and draw cards because this guy's going to die. And it changes the way you attack completely. It forces you to think about your game in an entirely different way. And uh, it's really tricky. I was really impressed with how fun that card was. Yeah, so that was a card. That's my card, so thank you very much. I went over to Kelly, once again, to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier. We were trying to figure out what a white-black-red vampire could be. And something he pitched is the kind of trope of the vampire who's working against the vampires now. Think about Blade as, as one example of this. And <laughs> so uh, I came back to my desk and I made a card called Van Sengirsing Bounty Hunter. And, <laughs> and that's what this turned into. And it was basically almost exactly as I designed it. It was printed. Believe it or not, when I handed the set off to development... This is one of the first cards Brian cut from the file, uh, was this guy. Which, to be fair, he had a good reason, because he, he was trying a new cycle uh, that eventually became the curses that were basically like bounties, where they passed around the table, and you actually put a bounty on somebody, and then when you, you attacked them, you got the bounties effect, and you took the bounty for yourself. So it was kind of like passing these bounties around the table, which was interesting, and that kind of messed with the bounty space. So really, it turned Vance and Gearsing into five cards, but that ultimately ended up not working, and he moved into <laughs> the curses, and then he, I remember I remember oh, so vividly because I got so excited. Uh, we have this messaging service called Link at our desks, and I got uh, I came back to my desk one day and I had a link blinking on my computer screen, and it was from Brian, and it was just a link to a, a card record in our card database and a smiley face with its back, and I click on it and Van, and Van Kitsingirsing is back in the file, and um, <laughs> I was really happy about that. So uh, a card that I really really loved and glad made it all the way. Yeah, good choice. What is that logo on his brand? 
I, I think that's his in, insignia. I, I don't know the story of the card entirely, but he kind of brands vampires to mark, hey, you're a vampire now. I have founded you. Or, I have founded It's the you. iconic Masters logo. We actually, uh, you know, just as a little aside, mm-hmm. we work really hard. Our, the art team, I, I have nothing to do with it. The art team works really hard to make sure that any symbols that show up aren't actual real world symbols or do things like match set symbols or whatever. Unless, of course, we're intentionally trying to do that. But, for example, if you look at every hieroglyphic in Amonkhet on all the cards, we worked tirelessly to make sure that those weren't actually words in Egypt or that they weren't actually things from, from Egyptian mythology, which is, you'd be surprised how often you're like artists draw a bunch of random squiggles that look like hieroglyphics and they come back with full hieroglyphic words in their artwork, you know? So, <laughs> you know, we, we don't want to show off any real world uh, religious iconography. We want to be very careful about that and respectful. And when we're dealing with things like Egypt, we don't want to use real world language. So things like that, we're really careful about. And with the symbol, I, I am pretty sure that they did a lot of work to make sure that it didn't look like any real world symbol there it's really cool <laughs> yeah i love i love this card I absolutely love it now how did teferi's protection make it so make its way into this set yeah this card is has a pretty winding story it's about it so good so what happened with the fairy's protection like many great card designs i had a meeting in five minutes and <laughs> i needed i needed to fill the file with something so I could show it off to my team. And I've had this idea kind of rolling around the back of my head for a very long time of a card that you just you cast it and you're like, I'm gone, I'm out, I'll see you next turn. In my head, it was always called bathroom break. <laughs> you're like, you play this card, <laughs> you're like, look, I got to go to the bathroom, just nothing's going to happen, I'll see you next turn, right? I've had, probably had this card in my head for nine to ten years. Like even before I worked for Wizard, oh. just rattling around in the back there somewhere, wouldn't it be cool if this card got made? And wow. something we, we were, sh- yeah, I've had cards in my head for a very long time, many that still haven't been made, and some that are actually on their way out that you guys don't know about yet. Hmm. I put this card into the file, or I was, or rather, I had a hole in the file, and something we were really short on at the time, we had a lot of really cool designs, but we were missing these top-down resonant designs, things that you looked at and were like, oh, I, I get what's going on here. And I realized that a trope with vampires is them kind of vanishing in a puff of smoke. Like, you think they're there, and then poof, they turn to a, a bat and fly away, and, and you're gone. So I typed a card into the, into the file called Vanish Into Smoke that did ex- and put it in, brought it to the meeting. Everyone loved it. They're like, wow, Gavin, yeah, you must have worked really hard to come up with this card design, of, of, which, yeah, of course, right? And, and everyone loved it right away. It's always the cards you design five minutes that people love. And so uh, it stayed in the set. was awesome. Passed off to Brian. Brian loved it, and it stuck. Now, here's the one difference. When I submitted the card, it didn't have phasing. It just exiled everything and then brought it all back next turn. In development and actually in the mm-hmm. editing phase, Eli or uh, I think either Matt Tabak or Eli Schiffer, I can't remember who, the, the editor on the set, uh, asks at one point, hey, is there a reason why this doesn't have phasing? And I, of course, my reaction is, well, the reason it doesn't have phasing is because if I put phasing on this card, you would tell me to take it off of this card because because why would, why would we put phasing on it? It's year 2017 now. <laughs> but, believe it or not, the editor suggested putting phasing on. And at that point, so we put phasing on, and we're thinking, well, okay, phasing, well, it's perfect with this, Teferi's Protection. And I actually don't remember which came first, if it was the Teferi's Protection or the phasing. Um, the phasing might have been inspired by the fact that Kelly talked about having a Teferi concept. But either way, we ended up with a package here that was amazing, and it's creatively resonant. You have Teferi phasing out. 
Jalfir, and then you have this, you know, the return of phasing, which is pretty splash worthy on its own. I absolutely love how this card came together, and it's one of my favorite stories from the set. And it's also just a really popular card. People have told me about putting this into a lot of their decks. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are very interested in this card, shall we say. Yeah, no, this this card is super good, super fun. It's going to go into definitely into like all of my white decks. Yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous. This effect is so... It just makes me smile because I was like, when I left Magic the first time around, it was because phasing and flanking were going to destroy the game forever. So to see phasing come back. Yeah, it definitely got me thinking. uh, Okay. It just brings a smile to my face. The next time we do a heavy reprint product or with some new cards, what's a crazy old mechanic we could bring back again, right? So like, I was, as soon as the reaction to this card came out, I'm like, all right, okay, uh, look at the future stuff. Is it time to bring back? All right, is it t- finally time for Rampage to return or, or whatever, right? <laughs> yes. You know who could have been back? Chromium. You know where he well, was Well, so actually, Ur so Dragon. we did look at some of the Just Elder saying. Dragons for <laughs> the for the deck but there are a few few troubles with them first of all a lot of them aren't that strong but second of all the your dragon which is like your primary dragon commander for the dragon deck reduces colorless mana and well that wasn't going to work with all these elder dragons which was a little bit sad plus you have this you know it's hard to get dub dub uu bb when you are playing a five color dragon deck and so with all this stuff i know brian tried some of them out but it just didn't end up sticking I know you've told me that before. It makes me cry every time. <laughs> well, let's probably bring us on to dragons, this. The best deck. Yeah. That isn't cat. So tell us all about dragons. I tell you all. Dragons are large-scaled beasts, which uh, in myth. Let's, let's talk about the differences between dragons and worms. In Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 edition, I wrote a book called The Dragons of Kryn that got published and was the official Dragonlance product that was released. It was my first ever D&D book that I got to write. Actual truth. <laughs> That's awesome. Something that happened with the dragon deck is... So some of them, some of the tribes like vampires which i mentioned we were like okay how can we make a white black red vampire we had to kind of be like okay what are some new things we're doing here dragons didn't have that problem i went to kelly and kelly gave me a list of the dragons he thought that he could be five color and there were plenty of really exciting things to go off of here the year dragon was on that list the uh okagachi was on that list um a, a number of of other things originally Kelly actually was like, okay, well, we should do the Year Dragon or Okagachi. Which one should we do? And, of course, my response was, why not both? So we put both of them in there and made cards for both of them, and they turned out pretty fun. Uh, you know, the Year Dragon is the dragon tribal-based commander for the deck, while Okagachi is kind of the not-tribal, not-themed, just awesome, big, large, and charge creature for the deck. And... They're both pretty fun to play with. I love that we're able to throw back to Kamigawa. Uh, personally, I enjoyed Kamigawa. I know that there are a lot of Kamigawa fans out there, and I like giving a little nod back to that set where possible, so doing that here was cool. And we never got to see him in card form. He was one of the, or it, excuse me, Okagachi, was one of the major characters of the Kamigawa block, and it was a shame that we never got to see him on a card somewhere. So to finally do that here was really neat, and I'm glad we got the opportunity. And then Ramos yeah. actually came through in development. That was a card that uh, Brian Holly's team came up with, and Ramos has a crazy story. I'm not going to even try and explain the story here, but you should, if you have the chance, go read the story on Ramos 
because it's one of the more ridiculous magic stories. And a lot of the old magic stories are incredibly ridiculous. The story of Ramos is really ridiculous. I like that all of his pieces were in, like, invasion block somewhere. Oh, Mercadia block. Mercadia. But th- that was cool. I mean, it was super neat. And I was really excited to see Ramos. I mean, I'm, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to use him because I don't play that kind of deck. But it makes me really happy. And the art for Ramos is awesome. You really get that feeling that this is a gigantic thing. Yeah, he is clearly standing on all of that more. <laughs> yeah, he really is. But, man... Yeah. You want to know who the the MVP of the dragon deck is? Scale Lord Reckoner, the uh, Master Chief, who is just so dumb. Especially when you're sitting there like, I need to take out your Ur-Dragon. And, and Scale Lord Reckoner says, whenever a dragon you control becomes a target of a spell uh, or ability, destroy target non-land permanent that guy controls. That makes it really, really difficult to take out that one thing you need to get rid of because he's just going to start smashing your face. For listeners and Gavin, when Shivam says a card is dumb, he means it's really, really good. Look, I'm yeah, from California. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't insult the dragon's intelligence, okay? Dragons are very <laughs> intelligent creatures. I mentioned in my league game, I managed to attack with the Ur-Dragon on the first turn it came into play. The permanent I put into play was Scale Lord Reckoner. Oh, so good. <laughs> because I was like, nope, you are, you are not shooting my stuff. Would you say it's a force to be reckoned with? Uh, 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 real fast on Scale Lord Reckoner. So one of the goals of this card was, so when you're playing these decks against each other, you quickly find out that dragons have some of the scariest creatures on the board. And so it kept being that all the removal spells would be pointed toward the dragon's deck, which is fine, but also not always the most fun thing because all your stuff's getting blown up. And it just makes the games feel very samey. So Scale Lord Reckoner, is part, part of its attempt is to be like, hey, maybe you want to target someone else's stuff. Yeah, my dragons are bigger than their cats, but if you target my thing, I'm going to blow your thing up. And plus, it's just like a fun political card to have around in Commander. So Yeah. It is messed up. I guess the combo player in me looks at this deck and desperately wants to put Ramos as the commander. So on Ramos's story, I just want to note that just to just give the readers a window into the bananas nature of Ramos' history, his his lifetime. So so Ramos is no longer with us, sadly, but his lifetime is from minus five thousand. Before of the current timeline, then he reappears about 360 years ago. <laughs> he was also born a dragon engine, but turned into a god on Mercadia. So you can anyway ask Kelly Dig sometime. He's got some opinions. There's a great there's a great article that uh, Kelly linked me to about how Ramos might actually be impossible to exist. But anyway. You can do your own Ramos learnings on your own time. It's it's good that Mercadia, a set that was notoriously underpowered intentionally, has one of the most powerful beings in the multiverse residing on it. Albeit in the form of Mana Rocks, but he's still there. Uh, Is Ramos a he? uh, um, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? (laughs) (laughs) Or why don't you ask it, I guess. Yeah. I... I just also I'll say I'm just really happy with Ramos. We got to throw back to Mercadia. Commander, one of my favorite things about Commander that I absolutely love is that we're not stuck on a specific world. And then we get to do these really cool throwbacks, these tiny little images of what's going on. 
And it's neat to be like, hey, you've been playing Magic for 20 years. Let me show you this glimpse into something that we're not going to do a new Mercadia set anytime soon. Mercadia isn't is not many people's favorite blocks, but here's a little glimmer of what's going on there or something that happened there that you queue into and really love. Yeah, as a Commander fan, that's basically my favorite part of the entire format is going back in through our history and seeing all the cool cards. And then also when you guys give us these little snippets of like legacy stuff from the ancient days, like Felden. Felden showing up in uh, 15 was basically the best thing ever. And, um, yeah, I love this. I love all of these little throwbacks and, like, just kind of, um, I guess, like, you know, gifts to the fans who've been around for a long time. Yeah. Little Easter eggs. It's nods to the people who are really tied to those particular places or times. Absolutely. Before we drift too far from Okagachi, because I know we want to talk about two more cards from the Dragon's Deck alone. Jonathan Landreth posted this really cool deck that, oh, by the way, Gavin, I don't know if you realize uh, realize it, but you are talking to some very important people who had a preview card for Ixalan. Yes, an uncommon enchantment from Ixalan. It was the Trove of Temptation. Oh, yes. And uh, Jonathan Landreth pointed out that it works really well in an Okagachi deck. Indeed, my friends, indeed. Mm-hmm. A great preview card, by the way. I love the flavor on that card. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, obviously we're joking. Uh, we're, we're joking a little bit there. But yeah, the, the, the flavor is wonderful. It really works. We did a, a whole song based on it. It's a fun card, if extraordinarily difficult to use. But of course, as Jonathan Landreth points out, after listening to our last episode, he's like, you guys have never played a deck that wants to be punched. <laughs> yeah, like, No, no, I haven't. <laughs> everyone always talks about group hug decks, but no one ever talks about the punching bag decks. You know, those are important too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've played a few decks that my opponents have decided that I just want to be punched. <laughs> A few. Most. (laughs) Yeah. So we've already talked a little bit about the Ur-Dragon, the dragon with scale dragons in the art. It's fantastic. Uh, Do you want to talk? What what can you say about the Ur-Dragon? Well, no, I mean, you kind of stole my my favorite line from it, which is scale dragon. So if you're an artist or an art connoisseur or perhaps have read something about art at some point in your life or just, you know, know things because you're a smart person who listens to this podcast and you might know about scale birds so we often scale birds are a trick that artists put into their work to give you an idea of the scale so they'll show you a building and then they'll put a bird next to it or or they'll show you a a creature and put a bird next to it so you have a real world thing as a frame of reference well in the year dragon you've got these great scale dragons and of course yes the joke is dragons already have scales har har i get the pun but there's also (laughs) Uh, there's also lots of tiny little dragons, so just how big and monstrous the scale dragon is. It's a, it's actually. But they're not really tiny. No, they're huge, presumably, or 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 they are tiny. And the your dragon's actually not that big, but I think the dragons are pretty big. <laughs> Notably, the your dragon is a ten ten because yeah. I it was a nine nine for a long time, and then I was like Brian. This is the Your Dragon. It should have four digits in the power toughness box. And he was like, all right, that makes sense. You sold me. So we did that. Why? Because 
even though it's only one point of power and toughness, the difference between nine and 10 visually is very large. You look at how big a card is and you see nine, nine, you're like, oh, right. Yeah. Most creatures have two numbers down there, but you see 10, 10. And for a lot of players, this triggers this, wow, this is really huge bit in their brain. In the same way that when you go to Walmart, you buy things for nine eighty seven instead of $10 or whatever, because it just, it seems like it's cheaper than it actually is. You get the opposite effect here of, oh, it seems bigger than it really is, even though it's just plus one, plus one larger. I'd refer you back to when Leviathan was printed. I mean, it's a terrible card, but everyone was like, oh my god, it's an 11-11. Yeah. Right. Once you get into double digits, that's Oh, huge. yeah. I, can't, I don't even know what we're going to do when we make our first triple-digited creature. Didn't you already with... No, it's a 99-99. Oh, 99-99? Hmm. That'll be interesting. One of the things that everybody has reacted positively to, except for Sean, is the inclusion of these fantastic tokens. And Vorthos Mike especially, like he actually asked a question, who fought for what tokens to get in? And how did these cat dragons make it in? Uh, like, uh, they are so cute. So first I got to know, Sean, what's uh, what's the deal with your tokens? I don't know the history here. What's up with the you and tokens? I, I'm not a fan of token decks. I've never built a token deck. I've, I I don't like the cutification of my hobbies. And <laughs> cat dragons is the cutification of my hobby. I literally only play token decks. <laughs> yeah, I know me too. So, well, says a man uh, who sounds like a two out of three commander and hosts agree. Tokens are great. <laughs> <laughs> we finally, we finally found the fifth dentist, and it's Sean. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sean, the fifth dentist, Watson. There he is. Right, that's, that's, that's my Twitter feed getting its name changed. <laughs> you know the drill. Uh, 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 hey. oh. What time do you go to get your teeth checked up? 2 30. <laughs> 2 30. That's yeah, right. I heard you. <sighs> More like four fifths, am I right? Oh, because never mind. Anyway, yeah, okay. yep. so <laughs> that went blazes. Welcome to the last episode of Commander, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're done. Yeah, so carry on with your love of cat dragons, because negativity is not constructive. But Wasatora is great for constructing. Oh yeah. All right. So I've told this story. Well, okay. Let me back up. First, let me answer Vorthos Mike's question, because Vorthos Mike deserves an answer to his great question. He does. So, one thing that we think about when we're building these decks is we have... The tokens are, are it's an excellent include. I'm really happy that we got these tokens in here, even though maybe not everybody is happy. I'm very happy, because if you're going to have a commander deck that makes tokens, and really... Almost all commander decks, there are some exceptions, but have at least some kind of token making in them in some fashion. Whether you're making a, you know, a couple treasure tokens now, or maybe a soldier tokens off of Elspeth, or even, you know, who knows what, right? Maybe you're maxing token making. I love that we're able to include actual physical tokens in these decks you get to use to, to play with your, with your cards. And so we have to be very conscientious, though, of how many tokens any given deck creates, because we get 10 double-sided tokens, which sounds like a lot, but we, we want to be able to represent, you know, three soldiers here and some cat dragons there or, or whatever. 
And very quickly, you end up eating a lot of space. So there's some some of that, some some space considerations, but. When it came to figuring out which tokens to put in, a lot of it was just what fit the decks well. A great thing about Tribal is that tokens are really good in Tribal decks because usually it's one card that makes multiple creatures, which is good in Commander, um, where you don't want to put too many of your eggs in one basket, and then they all get enhanced by your Tribal synergies. So we tried to find anything that worked and had the Tribal type where possible. Now, we didn't want to make off-type tokens if we could avoid it. We didn't want to make, for example clerics in the wizard deck because that would just be weird but and on off theme but we did include the um we did include cool cards that made tokens as n nice reprints were possible and we got a number of them in there that i'm really happy about an interesting bit is and i not to preempt this discussion too much but the wizard deck has a lot of zombie tokens you might notice and that's because at one point, actually, the wizard deck was a hybrid wizard-zombie tribal deck based around this wonderful card called Lich Lord of Unks as one of the cards. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And we thought it would be cool to try a dual tribal deck. That part didn't end up sticking. There might still be a tiny bit of it left. But we investigated a lot of different options for various tokens. Yeah. Now, where do cat dragons come from? They're not in Magic's history at all. Well, when a, ma when a mommy cat dragon loves a baby, uh, loves a Sorry, when a mommy cat dragon loves a father cat dragon very much. <laughs> now, that's actually probably not true, right? They just lay eggs. Well, anyway, so <clears throat> I don't know. That well, we know it's a dragon and a Johnny. That's about all we got. Hello. Mm. I, t <laughs> I like the way your scales are bristling. Could I stroke your large nostrils? Mm. I'll leave that for the fanfic sites. Instead, I'll tell the, the true story. <laughs> <laughs> or or our interview with a Johnny. Uh, one of those two. Maybe both. So, the story behind the Cat Dragon is probably my favorite story from the set. There's a lot of great stories from Commander. And I've told this story a few times now in different articles. But So, this is one of my favorite stories from All Commander 2017. I've told it a few times now in various places. So if you've heard it before... Well, don't skip a minute because it might be fun again here anyway. But I, I absolutely <laughs> love this story. So we're in a meeting room and we're working on the uncommon cycle. And getting an uncommon cycle was tr tricky here for two reasons. One, we moved from five decks down to four. So we had to figure out a way to slice it that put multiples that, that let it spread through the four decks properly. And to, furthermore, because we wanted to do creatures, they needed to somehow bridge the gap between the two. So they needed to both work in, in say, the vampire deck and the wizard deck. And we tried changelings, and those were okay, but Creative wasn't really excited about making much of changelings because it kind of looked like amorphous blobs. And it's sort of cheating the way that you do it, in a sense. So we talked about it, we played with them a little bit. They were okay, but we wanted to try something different. And... We had the idea of, okay, what if we did these cross-creature type cards? For example, you can make the Vampire Wizard that goes in the Vampire deck and the Wizard deck. And you can make the Dragon Vampire that goes in the Dragon deck and the Vampire deck. And it would all work out. And so we went around the horn, and, we're, and we came to a conclusion pretty fast. And that was that, well, they all work except for Cat Dragon. So <laughs> I went to Kelly Diggs. And you know, as kind of a last-ditch thing, in the meeting we agreed, hey, this probably wasn't going to work. But being the relentless person I am and wanting to cross their, their I's and dot their T's, which is how my handwriting generally looks, um, you, 
I went to Kelly and was like, hey, Kelly, I have this proposal. He's like, great, let's chat. And Kelly's always willing to have a discussion. And so I was like, okay, well, we want to do this thing where the tribes cross and we've got you know, vampire wizard. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. And we've got vampire dragon. That sounds great. And we've got cat vampire. He's like, oh, it's a little weird. Maybe we can make that work. And then it gets to the end. Of, right, here's the deal, Kelly. Look, look I, pro- I know there's probably no chance. This probably can't happen. But is there any way, like a small op- option, if we really stretch it and find something? I know it doesn't exist anywhere. Maybe we could make cat dragon work. And without skipping a beat, now Kelly's a creative mastermind. And without skipping a beat, Kelly just says, well, yeah, Cat Dragon, that's no problem. That, those exist in magic already. There's, Don't you know about Wasatora from Dominaria? I think Kelly's pulling, <laughs> pulling my leg. Like, clearly this doesn't, doesn't exist. That name sounds fake too, doesn't it? Right, it's like Wasatora. Come on. That... <laughs> he's like, yeah, it's Wasatora of the Nakoru. Don't you know what that means? So I'm like, okay, now he's definitely joking with me because Nakoru <laughs> means cat and dragon in Japanese. So this is clearly a bunch of nonsense. But no, uh, believe it or not, we go back to the Legends novels, I believe maybe Legends 2, where this character, Wasatora, the cat dragon, is at this village of Madara, and Toshiro Umazawa comes and has to deal with this cat dragon that's attacking the village and taking all their fish. Yes, that is the story. She's taking all the fish from this village. And, uh-huh. you know, they, they've they reached an accord, and he's like, yeah, that'll work perfectly for this. Now, um, you if you make this cat dragon that goes into two different decks, that's an uncommon. It'd be great if you could make a Wasatora card, too. So we made a Wasatora card, and then a card that's a brood member of Wasatora for part of the cycle. Now, I passed off the development with the cycle intact as the uncommon cycle. And the uncommon cycle ended up getting killed in favor of the curse cycle that Brian came up with. But... Everyone loved Wasatora so much that it lived on. And we I had to fight with it from the very beginning with this cat dragon. First, I got my team on board. And then I would tell other people, and they're like, a cat dragon? What? That makes no sense. That's really strange. And eventually, I'd talk to them and be like, no, it's going to be awesome. And this is a real thing. And they wouldn't believe me. And I would show them Legends 2, and they would believe me again. And I had to get a lot of people on board from this. In fact, um, Sky Striped Tiger or Sky Striped Ship Dragon, Sky Ship Stalker, whatever that card ended up being called from Kaladesh, was actually going to be a cat yeah. dragon for a little while. And it was like, no, no, let's really, let's hold this till C-17. It'll have a bigger impact. It'll be even more awesome in C-17. That's excellent. What a good decision. And so, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's right to know when to not do something. And in fact, when Kaladesh came out, there were a few players who asked, why isn't that a cat dragon? And the real answer was because we were holding off, just hold off a little while. We had all these products to look at. I would have rolled my eyes so hard if there was a cat dragon in Kaladesh. After the cat monkey and the cat cats and the... <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah, we hate those cat cats. Damn cat cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really cool. So that's how that came into existence. And if a uh, little fun fact, the one the one that still exists is you've got the uh, Bloodline Necromancer, I believe it's called, that is the vampire wizard, and that's the kind of the remaining lineage of that cycle that still exists. Hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that Cat Vampire didn't actually make it since that was uh, Miri the Cursed from uh, Time Spiral, I think. The yeah, cat, alternative uh, timeline. Yeah, because, I mean, you had Miri the Weatherlight in the other uh, cat deck, so it would have been super neat to see the cat vampire show up to like mirror the tie game cycle. One of the the hardest parts to 
with the cat vampire was not that we wanted to do a cat vampire actually, but that it needed to specifically be a white cat vampire because it had to oh. go into the green white cats deck and the Mardu vampires deck. So yeah, a, awkward. A, a white cat vampire, and you're like, well, is it a Ixalan cat vampire? What does that even mean? What does it mean for all of Ixalan? <laughs> and keep in mind that at the time we're making C17, because you, you have to think about this in a um, in sort of a, a weird timeline. You have to go back a little bit. We're making C17 around the same time we're working on Ixalan. And so we're we're still fleshing out the world. And so like, what does this mean if we put cats as you know humanoids here? And eventually we decide, no, we're just, we just didn't do that. And it, it all worked out okay. In, in retrospect, I know that a lot of players would have liked to have the changelings because they would have fit well into their existing tribal decks. But I'm really happy with how Wasatora turned out. And I'm glad that we ended up with these sweet cat dragons and this adorable token, which I love. And Cynthia Shepard knocked us out of the park. A phenomenal job on it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned Tygom. There's a Tygom in the Dragon's deck, and there's a Tygom in the Wizard's deck. You did one thing that all Vorthos are super happy about, and that was give us two Tygams, one from each timeline? Yes. So, we were trying to... We are working on the Wizard's deck, actually, and it was blue-black at the time. Uh, we added... R- Brian added red in development, and we were looking for potential legends that would fit for this deck. And... Uh, Jules came up with the idea of Tygam, and so I ran over to Kelly and pitched Tygam as a commander for the blue-black Wizards deck. And much like how when Kelly said to me, hey, we should do the Year Dragon or, or Okagachi, and I was like, oh, why not both? I told Kelly about, about let's do Tygam for Wizards, and he said, okay, but on one condition, let's do both Tygams. And I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Just, yeah. of course, that's so cool. We get to show off both timelines, and that's the kind of thing that we could never do in a magic set we would make now, because your cards are either in one timeline or another. And you could do it in two subsequent sets, but it's really cool to have them together in the same set in opposite decks. These alternate timelines can stare down across the table from each other, and it's a total blast. So I absolutely yeah. love it. I'm personally a little partial to the blue-white Tygam, because I designed that one. Uh, but they're they're both great. Also, fun fact, Blue-White Tygam is one of the very few, I don't know if it's the only, maybe it's the only, card in any of the decks that is not of the tribe of its deck and is a creature. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely stands out that way. The Dragon's deck has the uh, Ojutai speaker. Oh, the, um, the Orator of Ojutai? Yeah, Orator of Ojutai, who's like a bird. Yes, so there's another example. The Dragon's deck I needed this more than other decks, given that it, you know, dragons have high mana cost, and there are only so many dragons, so you need some lower-cost stuff to, to make it work. So that makes sense. But anyway, that's that's the totally awesome story behind how we got both Tygams here, and Ke- and Kelly did a great call out there making that happen. Oh, it's exciting. Tygam is a, a great wizard, too. That's really fun. And does that mean it's time to, to jump into uh, jump into wizards? Yay, yeah. finally a deck I care about. I would love to jump into Wizards. Hire me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is relevant. The reason I care about this one is I want to play C17, but I don't really like Tribal. What? I'm a control combo guy. Yeah, and you know what? You're a man after my own heart. So when we were working on... To go back to one of the questions we asked at the very beginning of the podcast, how are these going to work? And what were some of the goals behind choosing these themes? Well, when we're working on the tribal lineup, 
we want to make sure that different decks appeal to different players. The dragon deck, for example, appeals really heavily to a Timmy audience. Big, awesome dragons. Totally sweet. Super cool. <laughs> Sorry. Totally sweet, super cool should be the Timmy slash Tammy catchphrase. <laughs> it's, it's totally it's sweet, super motto. cool. <laughs> hey, it's not, it's not, if you're going to have a catchphrase, not a bad one to have. Okay, so what would you rather have as your tagline? Totally sweet, super cool, or I grind you out with card advantage? Eh, you know, one of those sounds a little more exciting than the other. <laughs> or, Well, I mean, if I was a control player, I guess the tagline would be, eh, it resolves. Yeah. <laughs> or, mm, no. no. <laughs> Nothing beats the old marketing campaign of, uh, no. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Play, I'm just imagining the, the, the TV spot now. Play control. Eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, totally sweet. Super cool, says the Timmy player. Carry right. on. But we want to make sure there was also a deck for players who didn't buy into tribal as much and who liked more controlling strategies, especially because control is a pretty classic commander strategy. And we chose Wizards partially because it fit the bill for that so well. It's still a tribal deck, make no mistake about it, but it is probably a little less tribal than the other decks because it wants to have fewer permanents on the battlefield at any given time. And you get more of those traditional blue, black, and now red control elements in there. So... That was one of the the big driving forces behind why we made Wizards a deck. Mm, love it. Love it. I can get behind so many of these cards. I've actually got nice new Demir commanders that aren't just artifact commanders. Oh, I hate that they've done that to Demir. <laughs> well, what about Milling, though? you got to love Million Commander. I love Milling Commanders. My, I'll let Phil tell you about my Lazav deck one day. Yeah, <laughs> quite good. Now, what can you say about Marisil? Marisil oh. is maybe the most inspirational of these uh, new wizard commanders. Yeah, I am super stoked about Marisil. So nothing about Marisil was mechanically was really made in design. Brian came up with the design of the card. But the idea of doing a Marisil was something that we quickly came up with with Kelly. Um, like much like dragons, even more so than dragons, when we had to figure out, okay, what are some wizards that could exist that we could do here? There's tons of awesome wizards from Magic's history that we've never put into card form. And doing a Marisol was something Kelly came up with that was a fantastic idea. Just an awesome throwback to Magic's past. And a character that we don't really know a lot about. about. You know, he hung out with Barrel, maybe, and and Ith, and what was going on there. And there's some stuff in the story about him. Is he alive? Is he dead? And, you know, we know he has this cage. And it was super cool that we were able to actually infuse that into the card mechanics. And it's an incredibly fun thing to build around. I've seen a lot of yeah, quite good. really exciting commander decks built around this card. The the fun uh, fun story about this card is it actually became more flavorful because the rules didn't work, which is not something that you can say about most magic cards. But originally, we just wanted to say, uh, when Marisol enters the battlefield, you know, exile uh, artifact or creature card. And then the second line is just, it has all the activated abilities of all the cards exiled with it, or exiled by cards named Marisol. Easy peasy. But it turns out that actually doesn't work for some rules reason. So we had to put a counter on them to in, to call them out by counter. But it worked out great nice. because these cage counters are actually so flavorful. So it became a more flavorful card because the rules didn't work, which is pretty funny. Yeah, that's cool. Phil, you say Marcel is a super inspirational wizard. 
The one that inspired me most was Kess. Oh. Dissident Mage. Oh, oh that yeah. card. I Ke- mean, who doesn't want all your spells to get flashback? So, out of all the cards... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want your spells to get flashback. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the end of development, uh, and actually while development was going on, but especially at the end, I went through and looked back through all the, the legends in the set, and the legendary creatures, and the new cards for that matter. And in the wizard deck, probably the most cards changed because they added red to the deck in development. So naturally, you're going to have a lot of the commanders changing. You're going to have a lot of the cards in the deck changing. But the two cards that I was most shocked by, and was like, Brian, can we, can we make this card? Was Anala, which is the eminence wizard commander, because one mana yeah. to copy your wizards I thought was just bananas. And then the second was Kess. <laughs> the card just looked crazy to me. Four mana, three, four commander that flies... And you get to reuse all your spells. I would expect that to cost five mana and be smaller and not fly or something. So uh, that card really impressed me. And, you know, fortunately, it hasn't seemed to break anything yet. And it's a really exciting card to build around. I think the only thing holding it back from breaking is that there are wizards that interact in a similar way with just instants and sorceries that do it more efficiently. I'm thinking Mizix that sort of commander uh, that perhaps those people eventually go, well, let's slip some black into our is it decks and try Kess as the commander and realize she's utterly fantastic. Yes. And you know, one thing we try and do with a lot of our commander designs or not, not necessarily a lot of them, at least some of them is try and aim them to show up other places as well. Specifically cube is a place we try and aim a lot. Can we make cool mm. cube cards? And cast is a card I think it is a slam in cube. You put this in your Grixis control deck in cube. It's a reason to go for a third color. And as someone who's a cube aficionado, I love cube draft. It might just be my favorite format straight up. Assuming that you're not letting me choose like 2004 extended, which is a, a weird format. Um, I would... <laughs> but hey, all, all you fans the, with elves? all you fans out there who who are, who are uh, 2004 extended fans, get at me. I am so happy that I got to have a set with Kess in it, and that would uh, that would go on to show up up in cubes because it's, it's a sweet sweet card. Yeah, Kess is the commander I'm brewing out of all of these new commanders. Um, and that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Where yeah, you're not really a you know a tribal player. But you found a sweet card in here for you, and we wanted to make sure that even though these were tribal decks, the tribal was loud, but it wasn't the only thing you could do. And you can grab this deck, ha- pilot cast as the commander with it, and you don't have to worry about tribal stuff too much. Absolutely, absolutely. What plane is she from? I don't reckon no Kess at all from the story. I think Kelly said that Kess is from Grixis. That would make sense. With There's the actually years. a great tweet um, that Kelly made, and I will share with in the show notes, that is all of the legends in Commander 2017 and what planes they're from. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'd love to see that tweet. Yeah, let me see if I can pull this yeah, up. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link that uh, link to that in the show notes. Now, Inala, Archmage Ritualist, is really the, the tribal commander there. The face. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I saw that and thought that was just crazy. One mana to copy all the wizards that come into play. That's nuts. But it turns out it's reasonable enough to print and it's pretty wild to play with. You can do some really crazy stacky tricks with this, let me tell you. <laughs> Why, well, yes, I would like another Snapcaster Mage. Thank you. 
<laughs> well, if you've got your orrery out or your, um, what's the blue one? Leyline of Anticipation. Inala's going to let you, oh no, it's the next end step, not your next end step. Damn, I misread it. Ignore me. You're a liar, Sean. <laughs> so yeah, if you look at this tweet that I sent out, just let's just run through these because I think the listeners are probably interested in, the, in all the locations of the commander. So just to quickly go through them for everybody. Uh, straight from the mouth, Kelly Diggs, creative genius. In the Cats deck, Erebo is unknown. Don't know where he's from. Hasn't been announced. Nizan is from Alara on the Naya Bant location, which is now, remember, the whole thing is fused together. They're not shards anymore. So it's sort of in the Naya Bant zone on the present day. So Miri is um, from Dominaria, of course, the invasion era. Unfortunately, uh, died. She lived around 360 years ago in magic time. Nothing unfortunate about that. Carry on. In Wizards. <laughs> w- w- wait, what was that? What what you saying, Sean? You trying to pick a fight over there? <laughs> There's not, nothing unfortunate about Miri dying. I was very much on Team Volrath in that, and Team Phyrexia on that block. Oh, God. Anyway. What a guy. How did we end up <laughs> podcasting together? I have no idea. Hey. With Wizards. <laughs> with Wizards. Anala, unknown. Don't know where she's from or what she's up to. Kess is from Alara on Grixis, but time unknown here. Marisol is from the Dark Ages of Dominaria around 4,000 years ago. And Marisol is deceased. On with vampires. Edgar Markov is from Innistrad, and that art depicts him sometime in the last 7,000 years. So, a small time window it could possibly be in. (laughs) Good old vampires. Gosh, only 7,000 years? Mathis and Lysia are both unknown. Okay, so on dragons... The Yur Dragon, to quote Kelly exactly, the Yur Dragon is the primordial essence of dragon kind. So it's kind of everywhere, possibly from the dawn of time. So there's your answer. The Yur Dragon is, is all over. Okagachi is the is from the end of the Kami War. The exact timing is uncertain, but he says it's about a thousand years ago or so. Blue Black Tigam is from the Khans of Tarkir timeline, erased from history. White Blue Tigam, of course, from the Dragons of Tarkir timeline, present day. Wasatora is on Dominaria about 4,000 years after the Kamigawa War, which, as we all know from um, Okagashi, is around 1,000 years ago. And then my personal favorite, not to get back to this, but Ramos. I saved the best for last. Ramos is from Dominaria, which is, of course, he existed both 4,500 years ago in the Brothers' War and also 360 years ago in Mercadia. And was completely inactive in between those two times. <laughs> what was so he was on two different planes. Yeah, the the story for that guy is nuts. I I, I mean I'm not going to get into all of it, but I think like Urza basically rode him from the Brothers' War to Mercadia and just left him there to chill, and then. At some point, Mercadian started revering him as a god, and then he just like got broken into a bunch of pieces, I guess. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just look up the story on Ramos, dear listener. If you want to go into a dark but exciting rabbit hole for a while, learn about Ramos Dragon Engine. It is a it is a trip. I remember I was driving, or I wasn't driving and reading because that would be really bad. I was in a car <laughs> uh, on a road trip at like, and it was like midnight, and I got this tweet from Kelly, and I started reading it, 
And I got deep into Ramos. I spent like a good hour just reading about Ramos. And that's interesting. So I was looking at Inala before I read that tweet there, trying to work out what plane she's from. And the only thing I could get was that the people, the other wizards doing the ritual look similar in the clothes they're wearing to the art depicted in Disciple of the Vault. So I was like, is she on Mirrodin? But then she doesn't look metallic at all. And it's like, yeah, I can't work this out. Yeah, and Mirrodin isn't exactly known for its Grixis Wizard Matters cards. So. Exactly. Now, if exactly. it had affinity for wizards, different story. Oh, I've, I like to look deep into the art. Like when um, Victor Adame did Nazan, I spotted that it was a Bant Tower off in the background. He was like, yes, finally someone recognized it. I was like, nice. Yeah, I, I pay attention to what's going on in these pictures. But I can't. Yeah, you also spotted me. that. The hammer and the anvil actually fused together Shut as your one. mouth. You. <laughs> they do <laughs> click. <laughs> right. If the hammer had the anvil super glued to the end of it, it would give you an additional plus like five five. <laughs> Sorry. Shut your mouth. Shut Philip. your hole, Deluca. <laughs> it is really amazing when we work on this artwork because creative sense over these art descriptions that both have all this wonderful detail and all the stuff for the artist can draw upon or reference materials and world guides. But by the same token, they know that it has to appear in a two inch by I don't know, roughly two inch location on a magic art. I think probably maybe even less than that. And yeah, not easy. So to get that level of detail, you can understand it from across the table or look at it and yet still have really cool things like a Bant tower is fantastic and and it's neat that talented artists you know victor adame is an excellent excellent artist are are able to pull off tiny little flourishes like that did you guys ever consider putting in uh the vidalcan aether mage or whatever it was from times from future type that let you uh wizard cycle yeah so one thing we try and avoid too much of in the fixed commander decks is tutoring you'll notice that the decks are very very light on tutoring effects and it's yes thankfully and it's because if you're playing the deck out of the box and one of the first things you're supposed to do is search your deck for any card you're just going to slow down the whole game and your mind's going to be blown so uh cards that search for basic lands are okay that's fine you know you're going to go to forest you find you put into play and you're done but even then, shuffling takes a lot of time. We call them loading screens, kind of like when you're waiting for your zone to load in an MMO or something like that. And so we try not to put too much shuffling in these decks. Because also, shuffling 100 cards is hard. You know, A lot of people who are newer have trouble just shuffling 100-card decks and, have, and getting things ready to go. But it's true. we also want to make sure that the, not the fir- you know, one of the first plays of the game isn't Wizard Cycle on turn three, spend a bunch of time figuring <laughs> out which wizard I'm going to get out of my deck. <laughs> right. So... I'm going to have to defend tutoring here. I've Phil has played against me many times. She even less times. Um, I am the face of responsible tutoring. You only cast the tutor when you know what you're going for. You don't cast it when you're not sure what you're going for. Which is totally, I understand why it wouldn't be in a starter deck. But people moaning and complaining about tutoring. People that use them need to be more responsible because they give those of us that do use them responsibly a bad name. 
This PSA brought to you by Mirage. Your tutor is available on Zolfier now. Uh, in all seriousness, I am also a big tutoring fan. And much like you, I well, I usually tutor only when I know what I'm tutoring for. But then I start searching through my library, and I'm like, ooh, maybe I want this one instead, right? Uh, that happens to me sometimes. But I, I agree. But <laughs> as you note, for an introductory level product, if you don't if you don't know what's in your deck. That's uh, you're not gonna be able to do that. That's a problem. No, I mean, this I, I laugh, but it's absolutely true because when I was playing the Nizan deck, I basically just shuffled, I didn't even look in it, and or rather the Arbo deck. And when I played Nizan and it lets you tutor for an equipment, I looked and I was like, oh, I don't even know what equipment's actually in the stock deck. So it was definitely like spending a few minutes and trying to figure out, like, oh, what is all this? What's even in here? What can I do? What are my choices? The only reason that Nizan really got through is twofold. One, equipment is a is a small subset. Granted, that deck has a lot of equipment, but it's a smaller subset. But two, the fact that it has this flavor connection of, hey, go get Hammer of Nizan. P.S. Go get Hammer of Nizan. It's like, okay, you, you kind of get what's going on there, and you're a little more likely to do it. But even then, that was very contentious on its own. So I'm glad it made it through. It's awesome. Yeah, it's but a great it card. It also means we got two spoiler cards. Not just one. And two spoiler cards yeah, are basically made for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, very nice. One day we'll get to spoil a Demir legend. One day. <laughs> Someday. How would you know, though? Wouldn't they just be hiding? Well, Yeah, perhaps no. we've already spoiled a Demir legend. So I will refer you back to the flavor text on Demir Signet. Those that can see the sigil, you know, it's it's too late. Some of us know where the sigils are. <laughs> well, it is unfortunately too late to do the uh, what's this playtest name? What's that playtest? Next time he's on. Next time I release a set, we'll, we'll come on and have me there. But don't worry. The, there's more of my leads coming out in the future. So if you like what you saw in Commander 2017, there's a little bit of Gavin coming out for you uh, soon enough. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, enough Gavin for everyone. Please cue. Yeah, I, I just walk into the bars on the weekend and I try that, and it it never works. Uh, so it's <laughs> never enough Gavin for everybody. Uh, <laughs> well, next time you're in England, Shire, or any of the UK, I guess Gavin will have to. I was going to say hook up, but that's not what I meant. We'll have to meet up and play some cards. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be there in just a couple of months. So if you want to hang out. For? Uh, just visiting. I, I travel a lot. Listeners, You, you found a new it. volcano to fall down. Hey, that's a metaphor. <laughs> which which bit of the UK are you going to be in? <laughs> I, um, I'm a big traveler, so I, I travel basically whenever I have the opportunity. And every year over Thanksgiving break, in the U.S., I'm like, mm, love, love you, America traditions. Time to go to a different country. So <laughs> I skip Thanksgiving and I fly somewhere for about a week and a half to two weeks. And so I'm gonna be, oh, cool. I'm going to Iceland and then heading up London. So I'll be in London, but it's a quick train ride away from Nottinghamshire or something like that. So maybe we can figure something out. It wouldn't uh, be well, a Gavin Verhey trip without a volcano being involved. Is that what you're telling us? You're going to Iceland. Oh, yes, Iceland. I'm sure those volcanoes, nothing bad will happen, he said. <laughs> if this were a movie, we would smash cut to me on top of one. So 
It's gonna be. It's gonna be great. <laughs> I've heard Iceland's gorgeous though, so at least if I have to fall yeah, down a volcano, I'll. Uh, it'll be a nice. Find yourself into a hot spring. You'll have a good time. And if you don't understand any of these volcano references, just check the show notes, and there'll be a link. <laughs> do you like sports, Gavin? Oh dear. I do like sports. I love Magic the I... Gathering. If you're down in London, I could possibly try and take you to a soccer ball game. Don't don't you mean football? Yeah, well, I was translating for any. Localizing for us, Yanks. Ah. (laughs) And the team I support is Tottenham, who are currently because our stadium's been knocked down and being rebuilt. Go Spurs! We're playing at Wembley, which is the national stadium. So I could possibly try and get you to a game. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm normally an Arsenal guy, but I don't really have a strong allegiance, so I'm happy to do whatever. Oh, okay. So Tottenham and Arsenal was like cats and dogs. They are I mean, closest, I mean, I, bitter rivals. I mean, what's an Ars? I love Commander's Arsenal. That was great. That was great. Nobody so. loved Commander's Arsenal. What Commander's Arsenal was what awesome. What are you talking about? What the the three of them that were made? I'm still bitter. Well, I well I will say, Shivam, that although you did you did not get one, the sentences "I'm bitter I didn't get one" and "Nobody loved Commander's Arsenal" are a little incompatible. <laughs> they really are. I am the only one that matters here. Thank you very much. <laughs> I tried so hard. Whatever you say, Bath Matt. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us, Gavin, once again. This has been a wonderful show. As I learned a, a while ago, I don't speak necessarily for my co-host, but, you know, I love hanging out with you. I've, I'm so glad you decided to come back on and we're able to. It's wonderful. No problem. This is a lot of fun. Man, I had to pick any random soccer team to mention, and I mentioned Arsenal. That's going to it's gonna haunt me forever. Um, I was like, I've, <laughs> you're, uh, you're now officially a Tottenham fan. Uh, I've been I've been conscripted now. Tottenham is yeah. great. I I love Tottenham. I I root for the Tots. I give I give to Toys for Tots every Christmas now, and they had the big Tottenham mascot, the gigantic toddler who weighs around tater tots. <laughs> Gavin. Thanks for hanging out with us. How can people reach you if they have any questions for you? Well, yeah, absolutely. It's been great being on the show. I've had a fantastic time. If you want to reach me, ask me any more questions or anything else really about magic. If you do want to want to know what my favorite movies from the 90s are, you can always hit me up on Twitter. Twitter's probably the best place to reach me. Just at Gavin Verhey. So find my name, put it on Twitter. Boom, you'll get right there. I'm also on Tumblr. You can ask me a question there. You can email me at beyondbasicsmagic at gmail.com. Or really, if you just Google my name, a bunch of different social media outlets will come up. You can friend me on Facebook. I'm more than happy to chat with you there. Whatever your preferred medium is. And I always love talking to people about magic and commander. So please go ahead. And listeners, if you say Gavin Verhey three times, he will actually come right to your location. That's true. That's actually the only reason I'm on the podcast a second time. I was just minding my own business in the bathtub. And here I am now. Look, man, I summoned Gavin randomly to San Francisco, and he ended up beating me with my own commander decks. It can happen to you, too. <laughs> Are you saying a bath mat was involved? Hey! Yeah, <laughs> callbacks. <laughs> hey. I wonder how many people who listened to the first episode still have no idea what we're talking about with bath mat. <laughs> God. 
Uh, Bath Bat Shiv is an anagram of Shivam's name. We gave ourselves all anagrams, but I mean, ours were good. Like, you know, I'm Graven Ivahay, and there's yeah. Hosanna Wetz and Days Uphill, and they're all, they're all good. But Bath Mat Shiv is just so amazing. <laughs> you you oh, you get Shiv, which is a magic thing. You get Bath Mat, which is a, a hilarious word to say, right? It's it's fantastic. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's sort of like it's... how does comedy work? You don't understand. Like, for example. I'm going to just talk a little about comedy. This is something something that uh, I was talking with a comedian friend of mine about recently. Is when you when you look at what when you look at fruits, right? Fruits you can bring on stage with you. Like a cantaloupe is not very funny. A pineapple is is very funny. Like pineapple is just demonstrably way more funny than a cantaloupe. Like you bring a pineapple on stage, you will just automatically get laughs. A cantaloupe, no one gets. But if you bring two cantaloupes on stage it's hilarious and i you know just humor humor is a funny thing so the word bath mat is just so funny and doesn't stop being funny every time i say it so also it helps that makes him sound like a 1920s jazz musician every time i see bath mat shiv i think of like that should be like an uncard with urza just kind of like stepping out of the bathtub that he's stuck in and unhinged or whatever it's like what would Urza use in his bathroom? Of course, a bath mat shiv. Why right. not? His good friend bath mat shiv. <laughs> shiv and bath mat. <laughs> bath mat of Urza. Or whatever. It hangs out with his sunglasses. Listeners, thank you for hanging out with us this long. <laughs> we really appreciate your support both from uh you know the folks who comment on twitter and who leave us five star reviews to the folks who go up to patreon and support us directly that way and we really want to thank this week we're going to call out six listeners who've donated uh, to us through the patreon it's uh, jesse debley jeremy gribbis martin jake mitchell jan luis respondek that would be uh, Jan Luis Rishpoldek. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Commandant's <laughs> Crimped Tog. That's okay, Phil. I'll see you next week. <laughs> and and Dan Kraus. Thank you very much. Now, Gavin, if you would take us out. Thank you for listening to Commanderin. Not always accurate, but always entertaining. Yes. <laughs> Super sweet. Or al- alternatively, <laughs> super sweet. Thank you for listening to Commander and Super Sweet Mega Cool or whatever that was. <laughs> super sweet, totally awesome. Oh. Th- thank you for listening to Commandering, where it's always super sweet, totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we need one for uh, what's the other psychographic um... Johnny. You're not going to be able to nope. come up with one right now. Oh, you want one right now? <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll think of it for next time. <laughs> All right. It, I'll put, it would not be Johnny if he didn't take some time to think about what, what it would be, okay? Like the other ones, yeah, you can come up with those fast. But Johnny, he's got to put his combo together. It takes time. <laughs> <laughs>
I had a dream in Magic the other night. This is genuinely true. I dreamt that there was a card printed called Yorgmoth Reborn. No idea what it did in my dream. I just knew I'd heard the card name and was very excited about it. It exiles your own graveyard and frowns at you. So a problem slash upside I have is a lot of times I'll be at my desk uh, designing magic cards, typing cards into a file, coming up with new abilities. As you are wont to do. Right, that's a problem I have, right? So I'm sitting there at my desk coming up with new magic cards and thinking about new card designs and so on, right? Totally normal thing. Wouldn't you all agree? Yep. Um, And then what happens is I wake up and I realize that I was doing that in my sleep. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my and so I wake up and I'm in my bed and I go to my notepad and I write down my card ideas and then I go back to sleep and a number of cards I have designed literally in my sleep have made it into uh, files. None of them have been printed yet. They have made it into set files. My goal is to eventually get one of my sleep cards printed. I'll be very impressed. <laughs> That's excellent. I can honestly say, and this is with no hyperbole involved, multitudes of my decks have been brewed whilst sitting in the seclusion room of an insane asylum. <laughs> yeah, but that's your job, though, so... Shush, don't ruin the myth! <laughs> it's still factually accurate. doesn't matter why I was there. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it, what it did, but my favorite playtest name I came up with uh, that was actually the playtest name that I gave it in my dream, and I just kept it in real life for Oath of the Gatewatch, was Kozilix Disneyland. <laughs> Which is really funny to me. <laughs> just, just the concept. Just think. Just think about it for like two seconds. It's really funny. The idea that Kozlik has a Disneyland. He's like making all these like crazy gravitational rides that don't make any sense. It was great. We like taking the teacups forty times in a right. row. Right. Don't don't you want to ride the Butcher of Truth? I mean, it's going to be great. Oh, <laughs> Listeners. Oh, Kozilek's Disneyland? I'm going to be thinking about that for months now. 